Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, March 16th, 2021, and we are doing a brief Bible study um, for these next two weeks until Holy Week. Um, We are studying the topics of saints and angels, and this week we have part one. We're talking about saints. Next week, we'll be talking about you guessed it, we'll be talking about angels. And uh, we spent uh, about an hour and a half on this, and it was a pretty good, it was it was actually a really good uh, discussion that we had with people, uh, with those gathered. And uh, if you're interested in um, joining us for Bible study, we have them every Tuesday, um, except for during Holy Week, and we'll take a little break after Easter here. But we usually have them on Tuesdays at 10 o'clock, and if you're in the Fredericksburg uh region, if you're in the area, we'd love to, for you to come join us in person, uh, but we also enjoy that you listen uh, to the podcast here. But without further ado, here is our Bible study from today on saints. The Lord be with you. Excuse me. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting... God, you knit together your faithful people of all times and places into one holy communion, the the mystical body of your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant us so to to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living, that together With them, we may come to the unspeakable joys you have prepared for those who who love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. That was the uh, prayer for the day. For uh, All Saints Day. Uh, do y'all know when All Saints Day is? It's Halloween. That's All Hallows Eve. So that's All Saints Day's Eve. So it's the Eve of All Saints Day. Um, so Hall- Halloween is really, for us Lutherans, Reformation Day. Right? Uh, Reformation yeah. Day... Uh, because Martin Luther pinned the 95 Theses on the church doors in Wittenberg uh, on the eve of all saints. So, we should not have Halloween parties, we should have Reformation parties, but that's beside it. But we did. We should. Yeah, we should. That'd be great. I don't have Halloween parties. Okay, so um, for All Saints Day, I bring that up because this, for the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to be looking at saints and angels. And um, I guess let's dispel some, some uh, misconceptions about saints. All right, so what are some things you've heard about saints in popular culture or even maybe from a certain Christian tradition? What about saints? Everybody's a saint. Yeah, All Christians are saints. 
all Christians. Yeah, not just the dead people. Yeah, not just the dead people, right? Okay, so all Christians are saints. Anything else? They go about doing good. That's a saint. Yeah, such a saint. Be so, like, was it? Um, they have the patience of a saint, yes. right? Um, okay. Anything else about saints? No, that's it. They just do good, and they're Christians. I mean, as if that's not enough, right? Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I had a picture on the wall of Saint Paul, mm -hmm. and he had a halo around. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he had a halo. What does that halo signify? What is that? Holiness. Holiness. Yeah. So it's it's this. It, you know, you see it in 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 Western art. It's this ring. In uh, Eastern icons, it's like it's it's a flat. It's like a more of a two D sort of representation of someone, and it's this golden circle around their head. Um, I'm not quite sure it, exactly what that is, except for the light of God, right? It's just the light of Christ shining through them. Um, so, yeah, it's someone that is a Christian, someone who does good, right? I, you know, I, ideally because of Christ, right? Um, so, how about, let me see, so... I mentioned All Saints Day, November 1st, because All Saints Day is the commemoration of those who have died over the past year. Some, some churches do a commemoration of uh, all the people who have died in that particular parish or church uh, throughout the entirety of the life of that congregation. It, for some congregations that are really big or old, it gets really long, right? so they just shorten it down. Um, and it's actually... Um, an ancient Christian custom to uh, have a remembrance and holy communion of loved ones who have died because both the both the living and the dead belong to Jesus, the Lord of both the living and the dead. Now I want y'all to turn to Romans fourteen, verses eight and nine. And see the justification for that ancient Christian custom. Romans 14, verses 8 through 9. Romans 14, verses 8 through 9. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. 
Right. So we see that these ancient Christian customs that we are handed down uh, come into effect because, not, not just because we want to remember our loved ones, but ideally because they come from Scripture, right? We have these remembrances of the dead. But like you said, uh, saints are not just those who are dead. They are those who are alive now in Christ. And in some ways, although we're living physically, it's kind of a weird thing about being a Christian, right? You're also dead. <laughs> Does that sound weird? Because, wait, you see me right now, and I'm not, you wouldn't label me as being dead, right? You'd say, no, he's got a pulse, he's breathing, everything's good, right? But the thing is, is that Christians are supposed to be dead to their sins, right? But alive in Christ. So we live in this weird, you know, we Lutherans, we love the paradoxes. We love the, uh, the paradoxes that say you are dead, but you're also alive. And that when you physically die, you'll really live forever. And to the world, that just says, uh, I, don't, I don't get it, right? I just don't get it. And so that's why it takes faith to believe these things. And we as Christians believe these things because it's what Scripture says, right? It's what Scripture tells us, that Jesus, because he has died and rose from the dead, and those who are... Those who believe in him are the same way, right? Uh, that they have, they, he says, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It doesn't, it doesn't end once you die, right? You will always be Christ's as long as you are in Christ, right? Um, for this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. He is the Lord over all, right? And that's why um, if you listen sometimes in the divine service on Sundays in the prayer of the church, we have, uh, there's this one specific petition where I pray, or we all pray, for those who have departed in the faith, right? And if there has some, been someone recently has died in the faith, there's a little spot there that says especially so-and-so, right? You can, you can make that, uh, you can give that thanks to God for that specific person. So we do it once a year. Ideally, we do it every Sunday where we give thanks to God for those who have died in the faith. Now, in the Apostles' Creed, here's a little quiz for y'all. In the Apostles' Creed, is there mention of saints? Yeah. Where? Somewhere at the end. <laughs> <laughs> the communion of saints. Yeah, the communion of saints, yeah. of saints right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny because uh, if you look at the Greek for it, it just says the holy ones. That's what that means. To be a saint is to be a holy one. Um, and there, we traditionally make these two distinctions, right? Um, we have believers who are here on earth and believers who have departed this life, right? What are our, so there's usually two distinctions of that. Uh, there's the church, so 
it's two different parts of the church, as we would say. I'm trying to ask this in a very pointed way so you know what I'm talking about. The visible and invisible. Yeah, there's the invisible and invisible, but there's also the church militant, right? Mm -hmm. When we read, you know, onward Christian soldiers marching forth to war, that sort of thing. We are the church, those who are alive here in the body, we, we are the church... Um, the church militant because we are still battling against sin. We are still waging, or the, the war of sin is still being waged against us, right? And then those who have died in the faith, they are the church triumphant, right? That their sin no longer has hold over them. Their sin uh, has, you know, their, their bodies have succumbed to sin, basically, because the wages of sin is death. So they have died, but they live forever. They are triumphant in Christ. They don't suffer anymore. And it's a beautiful thing. So it's actually interesting, though, and I was going to get to this eventually, but we're looking at saints and angels. Have you all ever heard someone say, when somebody dies... God has gained an angel? You've heard that? Yes. Is that true? No. No, it's not true. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, you see like the movie It's a Wonderful Life and you got Clarence and, and, and Clarence is an angel, but in a strange way because he lived before, right? But he died, and now he's trying to get his wings. That's not how that works. Uh, the angels are called the holy ones. They are holy. They are created beings, but they are not human beings. Um, and we'll, we'll see a little bit more about the roles of them next week. But I just want to make that distinction there, because the angels are called saints in a certain way, but in a it's distinct because they're a different creation, right? There's mankind, and then there's the angels that are above that have always been the servants of God. They are the, they are the messengers of his word, right? So we'll get in, it, it, it's kind of a muddy distinction, but we'll try and keep it straight, okay? So the saints and the angels are connected by the holiness of God but they are distinct in their roles and uh, the order of, of things, okay? Any, any questions so far about any of this? No? Is it pretty straightforward? Clear as mud? Yeah. All right, good. That's the way I like it. No, I'm just kidding. If you do have a question, let me know, but we'll, we'll, we'll go on here. So, all believers who are baptized, you know, we, we make a big deal about baptism uh, because Scripture makes a big deal about it, right? Let's turn to Ephesians 5.25. So it's after Romans, after Galatians, before Philippians. 
Ephesians chapter 5. 5.25-27. So chapter 5, verses 25-27. Who would like to read that for us? Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and save and gave himself for it, that life might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle of any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Okay. So... We hear that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, right? Cleansing her with what? Baptism. Baptism, right? The water and the word. Um, washing with water through the word and, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or, or blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, we're not going to get into the the issue of uh, Christ as the bridegroom and the church being the bride, that's a whole other thing, although it's very interesting to get into because it's a picture of how husbands and wives ought to love each other. Um, and we see here, though, that all baptized believers are saints, right? Um, we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Um, we are holy in Christ, and Christ is our holiness. And we can look at various uh, verses on this. In fact, if y'all want to, I mean, I'll have y'all flipping back and forth here because it's only like a few verses here, a few verses there. But um, if you look at 1 Corinthians, how about this? We'll split it up so that we're not having all everybody flip back and forth. Somebody take 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. Who's got that? Peggy's got that. Who wants Philippians 1.1? 1, 1? Who wants that one? <laughs> Donna, you got that one. All right. And then 1 Corinthians 1.30. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Paul's got that? Okay, Paul's got that. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1.30. So Peggy, you got 1 Corinthians one. Verse 2. So with that, what do we hear? To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saint, saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Right. So, we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? To be sanctified. Holy. To be made holy. holy. Yeah. Now, I have to ask another question. What does it mean to be made holy? Right. I knew you were going to ask that question. I got you on that one, yeah. 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 What does it mean to be made holy? Forgiven. Okay. I'm distinctly, I'm, I'm specifically looking for the phrase to be set apart. Hmm. Right. You're set apart. Um, to be holy means that you are set apart from the world. 
You are set apart from sin. You are set apart even from death. Right? And God is the one who does this through Jesus Christ. Okay? So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, um, to those made holy, uh, set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So in all places, everyone who calls upon the name of Christ is made holy, right? And uh, we also see that um, elsewhere, Paul writes that you cannot call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is conferred on you, is laid upon you in holy baptism. Right? That the water with God's word washing you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit makes you a new creation and makes you holy, makes you sanctified, right? Not just here in Fredericksburg, Texas, but all over this world, right? Because Christ died for all people, okay? Now, who's got Philippians 1.1? 1, 1? Paul, and is it Timotheus? The what? servants. Uh, Titus? Time. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, you said that. Correct? Yes. Timotheus, T-I-M-O-T-H-E-U-S. Oh, that's right. That's the King James, right? That's the King James, right? It's probably Timothy. Timotheus, okay. The servants of Jesus. It has a long over the eye. So Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Right. So Paul is addressing those who are saints, right? Um, and that they are saints in Christ Jesus, so holy in Christ. Uh, who has 1 Corinthians 1.30? It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So Christ is our holiness, right? So everything is, everything that we are as Christians, everything that we are as saints, is not because we are good people in and of ourselves, but it is because of Christ and what he has done for us and how he now lives in and through us. Okay? So that's, that's a big thing because most of the time, I think, uh, Donna, I think you said, what, uh, saints are known as people who do good things, right? Oh, they're such a saint. They brought me this. They did this for me. Um, and that is our fallen, sinful world seeing things through its own lens to say, well, anybody who's a good person is automatically a saint. That's not necessarily true, though. Um... It's, it's one of these things that we, we, we have to understand where holiness comes from, where it starts. And it does not start with us. It starts with God. Okay? So that's, that's what I want to get to the most here. Um, 
How about let's look at some pictures and terms for saints who have died. Um, let's have someone turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Who wants to do that one? 1 Thessalonians. I'm having y'all jump all through the Bible here, or at least the most of the New Testament here. Uh, but it's good for you. Probably should have started with a quiz about the order of the books in the New Testament, right? <laughs> 1st Corinthians, sorry, 1st Thessalonians 4.16. Diane's got that. Anybody want to get Revelation? Y'all know where that is. Revelation 4.13. No, 14.13, sorry. Revelations 4, Revelation, Revelations, Revelation 14.13. Who's got that? Donnie got that one. All right. So we got 1st Thessalonians 4.16. This is a picture... This, these will show us pictures in terms for saints who have died. So 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Okay. Uh, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet called of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so it, there's the first term. It's very explicit, the dead in Christ. Now stay there uh, in 1 Thessalonians because we're going to come back to that in chapter 4 uh, to read a little bit more. So Diane, you stay there for that one if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. uh, Revelations 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Mm-hmm. So, these are two pictures of just simply being dead in Christ. But, dead is a blessed thing if you are in Christ, right? Uh, as we see from Revelation there, right? Uh, 14, 13, yeah. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. That's, and that's, that's another picture, resting from their labor, okay? That they don't have to, they're not, they don't have to deal with the aches and pains. They don't have to deal with um, the sorrow. They don't have to deal with the curse that Adam had at the beginning, which was you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow, right? That you will plant wheat, but thorns and, th thorns and thistles you will reap, right? Uh, that with our work, with our work here on earth, there is blessing that comes from it, but there's also a lot of heartache. There's a lot of setbacks that go along with that from time, at, at times. That you never get to the end of a completed project without a few headaches, right? But in this sense, when you die in Christ, your labor is over, right? The sorrow that you felt at one time is no more. It's nothing but joy and bliss, right? Um, let me see here. Let's go to Philippians one twenty three. Going all over the place here.
Okay, Philippians 1.23. This is an interesting one. Who wants to read that? I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Yeah, so, and, and then he... he goes on, right? Uh, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's going back and forth, though. He's trapped, in some sense, because he knows that, you know, this is St. Paul, right? Because um, I'm hard-pressed between the two, both life and death. Um, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. To be with Christ is much better than to be in this world where we are still with Christ. It's just not in the full, complete uh, way we are when we die. Um, and actually, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and draw this again because I love this drawing. Um, and I have, I have to give credit to... Um, uh, I have to give credit to Pastor Brian Wolfmuller for this one that he showed my class at the seminary on this. And um, I've shown you all this before, but it's worth showing you again. So here's a timeline of your life. Okay, so here's the point where you're born, right? And you live your life, and you know, everything kind of happens throughout your life. And then this is the point where. Uh, let me see, this is the point where you die, okay? Now, what happens when you die if you are in Christ? What happens is you have this split where uh, you have this split going on where your soul, right? Your soul, your spirit, your soul goes up to heaven, right? And then your body goes into the ground. You don't see that? So, because of sin, we sin does nothing but but separate. Okay, it never brings together. It always pulls apart. In the beginning, when our first parents. Adam and Eve sinned, they were pulled apart from God. They had to be separated for their own good, really, right? Because as we learn from God speaking with Moses, that you cannot be in my presence and live because nothing that is, that is sinful can stand before the holy God, right? So what happens is that when you die... As, as a Christian, your soul is then divided from your body, right? Because of sin, right? So your body goes into the ground and uh, happens, and, and the things that happen to it happen to all things in this world. It decays and returns to dust, like God said to Adam in the beginning, and like we say on Ash Wednesday, remember, O man, that you are dust, and to dust you shall, um, and to dust you shall return. Right? 
So you go back to the ground, but does it stay this way? No. Is heaven the end? No. no, it's not the end. Although heaven is a glorious place to be, right? It's more of a holding ground, a holding place where you are resting with Christ. You are with Christ in his splendor, but it's not complete yet. You don't really care at the time because you're in bliss and joy, but it's not really complete because what is to come is the last day or judgment day, right? What happens on that day is that your soul is joined again with your body. And then I'll put uh, eternity there, right? Forever. What happens on the last day is that um, when Christ comes back, as we saw uh, in 1 Thessalonians, right? Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, right? That in the end, there will be a cry of command, a shout, and the trumpet will sound. And what does he say? And he says that... The dead in Christ will rise first. That's right. The dead in Christ will rise first. These are not zombies, okay? <laughs> Let me just make that very plain. These are not zombies. What happened, what happens to all believers is that they will be brought back. And because, let me see if y'all can kind of deduce this. If sin is the cause for your soul being divided from your body at death, then what is the cause of your soul reuniting with your body on the last day? It was thusly written. It was written, right? Okay, so what was written? That if sin divided and things come back together, it's because sin is no more. Sin is gone. Completely wiped out. Because sin will be no more, we will be joined back in our glorious bodies like Christ was when he rose from his tomb. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture that, you know, uh, I know that, <laughs> I'm going to harp on it a little bit, don't take it personally, but if you like the hymn, I am but a stranger here, heaven is my home, that's part of the picture, right? It's part of it, because heaven is not ultimately where we stay. On the last day, everything will be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, so... New heaven, new earth, and from there on out, we will be living with Christ, not just as souls or spirits floating around, but we will be with our bodies, that I'll be able to look at all of you and say, hey, Diane, it's good to see you. You know, Paul, looking better than ever, right? You say, hey, everybody. We know who we are because we are in Christ. And that's another thing that, you know, your soul is 
who you are. It's what makes you, you, right? That's why some people, when they say, after somebody dies, they'll say, they just look different. There's just something different about them. And it's not just that they're dead, of course. It's that what made them them is not there. It's hard to describe because you say, they're gone, right? They're gone. And you can't quite put your finger on it, but you just know, right? So what happens on that last day is that sin is totally wiped out and our bodies and our souls are reunited. The dead will rise. And I, I, love, I love saying, you know, what it is, you know, why we have certain practices in the church. Because we have certain practices in the church around funerals and burials and things like that. And I know I'm talking about a lot of death and things like that, but as Christians, there's kind of... A, that's kind of a distinction without a difference, right? Because though someone is dead, if they are dead in Christ, they are alive still, right? So what happens in a, a funeral is what you're supposed to do, according to tradition, and you know, this is one of those things you don't necessarily need to do. It's not a law, but it's a good practice that when you have the casket in the church if you have the casket in the church typically if it has a center aisle um, which ours doesn't have right now because the chairs are all just straight across soon we will have the center aisle back I promise but um, you have that uh, that casket in the center aisle which way is a little quiz which way are the feet facing Towards the altar. Towards the altar. Why is that? So if they raise, because if, if, if it happens yeah. and they're raised up, they can see the altar of God. That's right. They can look and see, because, well, actually the thing is, is that we, we, we know that um, as Christ, okay, which, which way does the sun rise? In which direction does the sun rise? The east? So which way do, does the altar point? East. To the east. Because it's understood that when Christ comes again, he will come with the rising sun. Or he will come in that direction, right? So if you go to a, a Christian cemetery, ideally all the graves where their feet are pointing are pointing towards the east. Because when they rise from the dead, they will look up and they will see Christ coming. And they will say... Here is my Savior. He is here, and, and we, are, we are done with sin. We are, we are done with death, and we live forever in Christ. It's a, oh, it gives me tingles. It's so good. It's such a beautiful thing. Because, and, and then... And then... What's that? When you die... That's right. When a pastor dies, which way does their feet face? Towards the congregation. Towards the congregation. Why do you think that is? Because if the last day comes at that particular moment, you rise up and say, Hallelujah! He is risen. <laughs> he is risen. Right? Because the pastor's life is supposed to be one... You told us that story. I, 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 you know what? I will keep saying it because it's tremendous. I love it so much. It's a beautiful thing because you have a pastor who dies and then... You know, everyone is, is, is mourning, they're in sorrow, and then all of a sudden you see, you know, it, it, I'm sure it would be like, whoa, what is going on? The pastor comes out of the casket and goes, he is risen, you know, and, 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 and is saying, uh, and I'm sure people will say, what is going on? 
But um, yeah, so it's it's such an interesting thing to think about the last day. What will take place on the last day? But uh, we we have a glimpse of it. Donna, don't don't get too upset. No, I'm not upset. It just I just realized if you go to the Catholic cemetery, mm -hmm. which is in town, their feet are pointing to the east. east. That's right. Wow. I'm pretty sure if you go to the... <laughs> I mean, that's what I, I, I was Yeah, if you're going to the German German cemetery, too, I'm sure it's the same thing over on the other side of town, right? Um, wow. Yeah. Well, then my husband's feet are facing south. They're facing south? Mm -hmm. According. Where? Oh, okay. He's right here in Greenwood. Oh, he is? But is it Greenwood? Don't most of them have their feet that away? Mm -hmm. My grandmothers are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I say, well, okay. okay. Well, I say all this stuff not that it means. Like I said, these are all things that aren't laws that must be adhered to. They're basically things that just, as a visual, because humans we're very visual. Yeah. It helps us to see things. It 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 sinks it into us that this is what's going to happen. It confesses what we believe. Right. So, so so that's why you see a lot of symbolism in church and stuff. We do things so that our actions confess our beliefs. Right. So it's like, you know, it's not written in scripture that you must bear your death. That's what He'll face the right way. It's okay. <laughs> He'll know which way he's gotta turn. It's okay. <laughs> it's just that I guess I guess we're kinda of giving them a little bit of help. <laughs> so, yeah, Paul. Just interesting. Yeah. The Navajo build these Hogan's yeah. little houses and all the doors face east. Isn't that interesting? Oh. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what that says about what no, they believe, I, but but I mean if the sun is rising that way, you know, yeah. they, they might have to do something with that too. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing, which we'll go back to our Bibles here to see. You know, um, Diane, you had First Thessalonians, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians four. Can you read verses thirteen through fifteen? Mm -hmm. Okay, the coming of the Lord, brothers. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the law's own to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who fall who have fallen asleep. Right. And then you see in what you read before, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he says in 17 uh, and 18, right? Then we, are, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, that is all to say that we should be encouraged by what it means to die in Christ, but really Paul calls it sleep, right? That we are asleep, um, that the hope is that one day we will be woken up, that we will be awake uh, and restored, 
right? After a long sleep, you feel really good, right? You will be restored and renewed fully and live forever in body and soul. You know, it's... it's so when, when our yeah. soul goes to heaven, are we asleep or awake? Yeah, see, that's, that's the question that a lot of people have tried to answer. And the, so when we go to heaven, are we asleep or awake? That's one of these things we don't necessarily know. We just know that we are at rest. We are in, we are, uh, in a state of joyful rest, I guess you can say. And that's very ambiguous, and it's meant to be. Because we don't really know exactly, uh, except that even though you are, uh, even though your soul is in heaven, you don't cease to be active in a way, because as we'll see here in a little bit when we look at Hebrews, that those saints who have gone before us in heaven, they are still cheering us on, right? And they are still praying for us. Now, I say that in that, um, you know, we don't want to fall into the error that the Roman Catholics do and say, well, I'm going to pray to Mary, I'm going to pray to St. Paul, I'm going to pray to St. Peter, because they pray for me, right? And they have merited grace and favor before God in such a way that when I pray to them and they pray to God, God will see their merit and think, oh, well, I guess, you know, He's not such a bad guy after all. That's not how this works. That the saints in heaven are always praying for us. We don't have to ask them to pray for us. They're always going to do it. They're always going to ask God for His grace to be shown to those that they love, right? To those still left on earth. So, you'll be active in heaven praying. You'll be active in heaven cheering everyone on. And you'll be active in just joy. You'll just be so joyful because you're in the presence of Christ, right? Um, and we'll look at other things of what saints in heaven will be doing as well. Um, we also see from uh, first, sorry, Second Corinthians five eight uh, that. Second Corinthians chapter five verse eight. <laughs> chapter so Second Corinthians chapter five verse eight. Paul Saint Paul writes, "Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord." That's kind of what he said also in Philippians, right? He's hard pressed between the two that we'll always have, as, as long as we're alive here, there's always that fear of death. But the perfect love of Christ casts out all fear, right? That because Christ has died for us, and he, and he is raised from the dead, and He lives now on high forever, we say, if I'm alive in Christ, then death has no hold on. You know, it's, it's like we sang in, in our hymn, um, God's own child, I gladly say it. You know, um, uh, Satan, drop your ugly accusation. I am baptized into Christ. Uh, oh, I forget the rest, but it's basically just saying, 
Leave me alone. Don't taunt me with death. I have already died. <laughs> and I live now in Christ. So that though I die in the body, I will live forever. Regardless of what you say. Right? Because Christ has saved me. Christ has forgiven my sins. And I have been made holy because of Him. Right? So it is better for us to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So it's not that we seek death out. It's not that we seek to be a martyr, right? Um, that, was, that was a big problem back in the early church because people would, uh, people would intentionally do something that they knew was going to get them killed as opposed to just doing... They would, they would intentionally do something that they knew would cause them to be a martyr, right? But it's not that we should seek these things out because Paul had many instances where he could have died, but he was spared, right? And it's not that he um, loved death more than life in a sense where he was saying, I just have to die, I must die, I need to die. It's that if the Lord wills it and I die, that is for him to make that decision. And if the Lord wills it, how can it be, how, how can it be bad? Right? Especially if I'm doing something that is making a good confession of what Christ has done for me. So that others can see, though I die, I live. Right? That was, that was I mean, the word for martyr in the Greek literally means, um, it means, excuse me, the word for martyr in Greek literally means witness, right? That people would witness your faith by how you die, um, which is interesting because I, I've, I've only had this instance once, um, but from what I've heard from other pastors, and I'm sure I'll, I'll experience it myself, um, in some ways I'm, I'm glad it didn't happen during um, this whole pandemic and everything, and hopefully things lighten up in the hospitals, but um, when someone is on their deathbed, ideally the pastor should be there to give a commemoration uh, of the dying. A, oh, sorry, a, a commendation of the dying, that we commend them to the Lord and His care. Um, and ideally, if they're able, to give them Holy Communion before they die. Um, because the thing is, is that I've, I've heard it from many pastors. I haven't experienced it myself, but they said in many instances when they go to someone's deathbed and they bring the Word of God in consolation to them, that... Well, let me just ask y'all, who do you think is more distressed in that situation? Is it the person who's dying, or is it the family? The family is always the one who, who probably needs to hear the word the most. And by standing around and hearing what the pastor is saying to this dying person, um, ideally and hopefully they would be bolstered by that to have the assurance and the good confession being heard from their loved one, that they know where they're going, right? That they know what will happen to them on that day, 
at, at the time when God decides, now, now your time is up and you're coming with me, right? So that person, ideally, on their deathbed, is hopefully at peace. I, I would imagine that some people aren't, right? But that's the point of the pastor, to come and to say, your fear is, <laughs> your fear is warranted, but don't hold on to it. Hold on to Christ. He is with you. He is here for you, so that you would know that he loves you and that he will bring you through this to paradise, right? Um, so, it, this is, you know, talking about saints is, is not just about, <laughs> it's not just about people who do good deeds, right? It is about a life and death situation. Uh, and for Christians, it's all intertwined together. Life and death are all part of the same picture, right? Um, let's, let me see, uh... So, yeah, so any questions? Yeah, yeah. So is death the ultimate victory, I guess? Yeah, you know, we hear it in different ways in different hymns. Um, I have it highlighted in my tiny hymnal here. Um, where is it? Why should cross and trial grieve me? Um, this is from a pastor... Um, Paul Gerhardt, who um, well, you, had a you really know, hard said life. earlier, those that are alive are the church militant. Yeah. And so, I guess now that we're dead, that's the final victory. Or the church triumphant? It is. It is. It is the victory. But you know, it's it's that. It's the victory of those who are in Christ because we see that although death is a consequence for sin, yeah. right? Although death is a consequence for sin, God, in His grace and His mercy, has made it a portal for us to be with Christ forever. That although death can be seen as a victory, the victory is in the death of Christ, yeah. right? It's in the death of Christ who has died for you and who has been raised for you and who now lives for you and we live for him, right? Um, so yeah, you can say that death is a victory uh, for those in Christ. That the war has been won, the battle has been fought, the Lord is triumphant and we are on his side, right? Yeah. I never, <clears throat> I never forget my dad when he was in the hospital and he was passing away. Mm -hmm. He uh, he was asleep for a little bit and then woke up and said, I've been to the other side and I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. He might have been dreaming it or he might have been real, you know, I don't know. You know, he might have been given that grace to see what was ahead. You know, who's to say about some of these things? You have, we, have, we have to be careful about who says they've been to heaven and all this other stuff. But, I mean, if he saw it, that's a wonderful thing. I know, that is, that Audrey is some hope. Ebert, she told us a story one time during Sunday school or whatever. 
and her mother was passing had passed away or was passing away and her mother just got this big smile on her face and Audrey said are you seeing Jesus do you see Jesus do you? and she nodded and then she passed away so you know there you go yeah and you know I I'm I'm not going to discount any of that stuff because uh, uh, it's at that at that moment when you're on the threshold of eternity who knows what you see right um, so that's that's some comfort there to say to have that person die with you with you hearing them say I know where I'm going that you know Christ is Christ is with me Jesus is with me um, so let's uh, you know, and I'll just read John eleven twenty five, and then we'll go on to Hebrews here, and we'll be done pretty soon. John eleven twenty five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Right? That is our hope. And I've said this before, and I need to say it again, because hope in our modern way of speaking is kind of this ambiguous or this 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 kind of um, un, unfulfilled expectation that you're just kind of hoping is like, I I hope that it is nice weather today I hope that you know I get that raise or I hope that um, that everything will go okay with this that or the other right but for us when we hope in Christ it's not just this waiting to see what happens, whether good or bad. In Christ, our hope is a confident expectation that the good will happen, right? That when we hope in Christ, uh, we, we know and say that I will live with him because he lives with me, right? Um, that is the state of the departed saints, those who die in Christ, that they, they are alive, right? Though their body is dead, they are alive in Christ for that final day when they come together in the new heaven and new earth. Um, let's talk about how the saints support us now. Uh, let's turn to Hebrews 11, and that's where we're going to stay for the rest of this time. Hebrews 11. We just did a study on Hebrews, so this will be a little bit of a, a refresher for those of y'all who joined us for that. Uh, by say just, I mean that was like two or three Bible studies ago. <laughs> but, um, we spent a lot of time in it though, um, and it was I, you know, thought it was very very helpful for me and hopefully enlightening for y'all. Um, Hebrews 11, verses 39 through uh, chapter 12, verse 2. So it's really only like three verses there. Four verses. Who wants to read that for us? So Hebrews 11, 39 uh, through 12, verse 2. <laughs> Hebrews is right after uh, somewhere back there um, 
And all these, though commanded through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfect of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay. So when we see here in chapter 11, verse 39, he's talking about... All the saints that he mentions, you know, um, uh, Abel, Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, all these, all these saints in the Old Testament, right? That they were promised the Messiah, and then he says, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, which means that they didn't see the Messiah with their eyes. They looked forward to that day when he would come and save the world right? But they didn't see it with their eyes. But he says, since God has had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That apart from us, who are in Christ now, they would be, they would be nothing, right? But because of Christ, because of the Messiah, they are saints. That in the Old Testament, we know that everyone who died in faith you know, it, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't counted as saints because they adhered to the law. They didn't, you know, I think that's where a lot of people get a misunderstanding about the Old Testament and the New Testament, thinking that God is different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament, right? That in the Old Testament, he's a God of fire and brimstone and vengeance and all this stuff, but really he's the same God. Because he shows his mercy to his people in so many different ways. Um, which, which should remind us that he's the same God even now. He's still that God who is a jealous God. Uh, he still desires us to only love and serve him. So what I mean to say is that the saints of old and the saints of the New Testament, they are all counted righteous for the sake of Christ. So that... Your loved ones that you knew in your life are counted righteous in the same level as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They are all counted as, as beloved children of God. And because of that, you see here that since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to, what, the saints of old, because they were so good? Looking to Jesus, right? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, right? That all, all things considered... We have to understand that joy can be had in the midst of sorrow, right? 
I've said this before. Joy is different from happiness. Right? Joy is different from happiness because it's hard to be happy while you're suffering. Right? It's hard to be happy uh, you know, when you're getting persecuted for the faith. But you can be joyful in the midst of these things. Joy is something that surpasses this. Um, happiness can be an aspect of joy. But joy is something that is deeper. It is something that is more solid and more true. That, like Jesus, he says, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that people would be saved, right? That all mankind would be saved forever because of him. He faced what he faced for our sakes, right? So we see this picture of journey, uh, uh, it's a picture of journey of, of faith as a mass relay race, right? That one runner hands off the, the uh, one runner hands off the, the, the baton of faith to the next, right? And they run. Well, that's a great image. Don't drop the baton. Um, when you run with the baton, you hand it off to that next person, right? Run, run, run. And run with endurance, right? Um, run as if all the sin that you carry has been cast off. Because it has. Because of Christ. Right? So run that race. Um, and it's interesting because you see that as we're running... Who's cheering us on? The saints. the saints, right? The saints who have gone before us and who are now in glory. That they are looking down and they're saying, yes, yes, keep going. Just keep going. Don't quit. It's worth it. It's worth it in the end. Please, just keep going. Look to Christ. Look to Him, right? You know, some people say, like, it, it, it's, it's, it's really sad. I don't, I don't want to get on a downer point here. But, you know, someone who has a loved one who's died, and they say, you know, um, Grandma's watching over us. And Grandma hopefully is saying, yeah, I am. But Jesus is looking over you too. Look to him. He's the one who's got you, right? And, and you say, he's like, yes, Grandma is watching over you. But she's also saying, look to Jesus. Look to him. He's, he's the reason I'm here. Look to him, right? So we see these, the dead in Christ as our cheerleaders, <laughs> you know? As I said, they, they are cheering us on saying it's worth it. And um, the prize that we gain at the end of that race is the resurrection of the body and the reign with Christ, right? That we will be with him in the end, in body and soul. Um, he talks about a cloud, and I'll touch on these real, real quick here. Um, where, where else do we see the aspect of a cloud in Scripture? Like the Red Sea. Yeah, in, in Exodus and Numbers, and you know, that, that uh, I'm thinking is exact, uh, specifically of Numbers 9, um, where whenever the glory of the Lord, it's Numbers 9, verses 15 through 23, where whenever the glory of the Lord was with the children of Israel, it was in a cloud. And that whenever the cloud would pick up and move somewhere, the people were supposed to follow it. Right? 
So um, this glory cloud, I guess you could say, it's the, it's the place where God's glory was dwelling, um, revealed and concealed God's presence with his people. Um, and it specifically rested on the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the worship was for the people. That the entire camp was centered around or pointed toward that tabernacle, the altar, the temple, right? Um, we also see that when Jesus ascended into heaven, what did he ascend into? A cloud. He ascended into a cloud, right? And then if we look at Revelation 7, um, it doesn't mention a cloud specifically, but it mentions the departed saints, that the departed saints uh, serve him day and night in his temple. That if, if, if Christ is ascended into heaven, and we're not going to say that it's a fixed location, right? That it's wherever heaven is, right? Uh, in the spiritual sense. That the saints who have gone before us serve him. And by serving, this is where we get into some interesting stuff here. Because serving in the Greek is, liter is literally... Is liter literally liturgy, right? They are liturgical servants, and liturgy is what we usually hear when we are in church, right? That the saints worship him and serve him in his temple. They liturgize with him. That I think was it. It was told to me, or I read it from a layman one time, where he said, you know, if you don't like the liturgy. If you don't like what we do in church, whether whatever form you choose to do, if you don't like what we do in church, you're not really going to like heaven all that much, right? Because it sounds funny because you go because because some people can read that as saying it's like oh well what we do in church is always heavenly and it's always transcendent and it's always wonderful and that's not always true. But the point is is that um, anytime you read in Revelation what the saints are doing in heaven. They're singing. They're singing praise to God. They are serving him in his temple where there is worship, right? They have songs that they sing. And, and it says, you know, they never cease day and night to sing these things, to say holy, 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 to worship God in his temple. And that ties into, um, you know, Hebrews... 12 verses 22 through 24. So you're still in Hebrews, right? Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. And what does that say? Anybody want to read that for us? You'll see where I'm getting here with the tie-in for what, what we regularly do as Christians. Hebrews 12 verses 22 through 24. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of, of the living God, and the heavenly, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, covenant and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better 
things than that of Abel. Right. So, remember from our study of Hebrews, this understanding of divine worship, the divine service, the divine liturgy, I guess you could say, right? That every Sunday when we gather here, uh, and every place that has this as well, when you gather in God's, in God's name uh, and you worship the Lord, you are at Mount Zion. Not because of your prayers, but because of what specific thing taking place on Sunday. What do we do here every Sunday? Have the divine service and communion. That's right. We have Holy Communion, right? It's, it's the... We're not, we're not making a new sacrifice like the Roman Catholics believe, right? That they are sacrificing at the altar and all this stuff like that. But it's that God is coming down and serving his people. God is coming down. Christ is descending once more from heaven to be present in the body and blood, in the bread and wine, for you so that you can taste and see that he has that he has forgiven you of all your sins, so that you would be strengthened to go forward, to run the race, right? To keep your eyes on Jesus, you know? And where is Jesus found? He's found in all the places where he's promised to be. He's promised to be with you in your baptism, right? That when he says at the, at the end of Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have taught you to observe, or commanded you, right? And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age, because you are baptized. And then he also says, you know, that this is my body, this is my blood, given and shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, so that you know that I love you, right? And we see here that what it has to do with saints is in Hebrews here, chapter 12, that in this gathering of the saints on earth, around the body and blood of Christ, you see, um, to the assembly, see, to, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To the saints that have gone before us and now rest from their labors. Those saints are with us in Holy Communion. Communion means a coming together, right? A communing together. That it's not just those who are gathered with you at, at the rail at the altar. <coughs> that in a lot of churches, and you can even kind of see it in ours, sort of, that there are some churches that have the altar in the center of this big circle. And it's this, this circle that's a rail that goes all the way around and completely goes around the altar. And yet, everyone who communes in that church, they only commune on one side. Because what's the other side reserved for? The saints. The saints who are in heaven. That you should be able to, I'd like, in, you know, this is part of the, the symbolism in church, that we have these things to point and say, look, you can look across there and you ought to be able to picture your loved ones.
have died in Christ. You ought to be able to look over there and say, they are joining with me in this. They are singing God's praises with me right now. And we also see that the angels are there too. Now here's the distinction of the angels because we sing in the, uh, in the proper preface of the divine service where I say, you know, therefore with angels and archangels and with all the hosts of heaven, the whole company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore, praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, bless, you know, um, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, right? And so we say these things and we join with the angels and the archangels because the angels are looking down and they are saying, what a tremendous thing is happening here that the Lord God would do such a thing for these people, right? The angels are with us in this gathering and they are singing praises saying, God is so good that he would come and save them. Right? It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And we sing with the angels, right? When we sing holy, 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 we are singing the song of the angels in Isaiah. When Isaiah sees the temple, he sees God in his temple in heaven and his robes are flowing out and the angels are covering their, their faces with their wings and everything. And they sing, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Right? That's the song of the angels that we get to sing with them. It's, it's wonderful. And, so, and I say these things so that next time we join on Sunday, you can remember that. And you can say, wow, you know, we, we have a beautiful sanctuary. We have beautiful stained glass. But the beauty can be ultimately enhanced when you see with eyes of faith what is taking place behind the scenes, right? That even though you have a pastor who, who stutters and stumbles with his words, it doesn't matter because God is present with his people, right? God is with his people serving them his body and blood. And the saints are on the other side saying, yes, yes, keep going, keep going. Take that body and blood and run. <laughs> you know? Take it and run with it. Run to the end because it's worth it. Right? So, um, this is all to say that, you know, uh, saints are the people who have gone before us. They are the people still alive here making that good confession in faith and believing it with their whole heart. Right? And Christ living through them. And for that, we should be encouraged. And like Paul says, we should encourage one another with these things. That like the saints who have gone before us, we should encourage each other saying, yeah, just keep running. Keep running. Take that baton and run. Right? That's what parents do with their children. That's what, even if you don't have children, that, you know, you should be a father or a... a mother in some way to someone saying, here is the faith. Here is Jesus Christ who has died for you, raised for you from the dead, and lives for you forever. Take it and run. Take it and run. Right? So, any questions? <laughs> I'm going to take a drink of water here for a second. So, anybody have any questions, any comments about this?
I've shared this with you before when we were studying Hebrews, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> that article that was in... Uh, uh, for the Life of the World, yeah. right? Yeah, from uh, Fort Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there was an article in there about them losing their son. Yeah, that was from Dr. Just. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And anyway, after I read that article, it all came to light to me. And whenever you say the angels and archangels, you know, I, I look up and I see all these little angels up above <laughs> the altar. I mean, I know it sounds silly. Hey, no, but I'm it does just, not. This is my visual thing. Yeah. And then I see all the communists, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, my parents. I feel their hands on my shoulder. Just to be, while we're all singing, holy, holy, holy. It's a beautiful, I mean, it sounds crazy. No, it doesn't sound visual. crazy at all. That's my visual. I don't think that sounds crazy <laughs> well, at all. I'm getting ready for communion. I don't think that sounds crazy at all. I think that's uh, that's a beautiful. But gift. I've shared that with you before. Yeah. Oh when, yeah. When we no. studied Hebrews here. So. Yes. And thank you for sharing it again because it's yeah. it, it is beautiful that that you would have that gift of sight to see these things taking place, right? Because there is a reality going on beyond what we can just see with our eyes. And we know what's going on beyond what we see because of what God's Word says is going on, right? Um, and <laughs> it's, it's one of these things, I, I love that we believe what we believe about Holy Communion, about Holy Baptism, about all the ways that God comes to us and serves us and gives us His grace. Um, so thank you for sharing that. It's... it's uh, I, I, I wish that more people would see that. Uh, I really do. Um, any other thoughts? Questions? Comments? Has this, has this made y'all think a little bit differently about saints? <laughs> has it enlightened you a little bit? Um, has it hopefully solidified your position as a saint with God? I hope so. Um, I hope so. And, you know, it's, it's something to think about because I'll just, I'll just close with this, that the world is such a place that it tries to deceive you about um, many different things. The world tries to deceive you even with death. The world tries to say, death is natural. Death is just a part of life. And God says, that's not true. I never, God says that I never intended for death to be even in the equation. It should have never been. But I'll tell you what. I've made it so that death is not the end for you that death is just the beginning, right, to eternity. And I've shown that through my faithful saints who have gone before. Most importantly, though, I've shown that through my son, Jesus Christ, so that you would know that you can go through this life and live it in the freedom, knowing that... Christ has died for you and that you are forgiven of your sins 
and that you truly live now. Right? We don't have to worry about which direction our feet are. That's right. We don't have to worry about which direction our feet are going. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, you shouldn't care. You know, it's, <laughs> if you've died already, you're just like, eh. you know, if you're up in heaven, you're just like, well, you know, I know which way to turn. It's okay. It's okay. Um, all right. Well, I guess I guess we'll we'll, we'll close here um, for the sake of the the audio and the visual stuff. We'll close with the the Lord's. Well, actually, you know what? How about this? I'll I'll give some announcements even for those folks out in YouTube land and podcast world and everything. Um, so we have Lenten midweek services still going on. Uh, mid midweek service tomorrow, the seventeenth at 12.15 and at 7 p.m. And we're focusing on the question, what does such baptizing with water um, indicate? And just as a preview, it's about the old Adam being drowned daily. So come ready to hear about that. It's kind of an interesting thing. And, and if I've kind of made you think, well, wait, old Adam, what's going on with that? Hopefully you come and we'll... Well, I'll be able to answer those questions for you. Um, and then next week is our last midweek service uh, focusing on the issue of of um, of it, of infant baptism. So that'll be another interesting topic to tackle in, a, in the readings and in the sermon. And then after that, we have Palm Sunday coming up on the 28th, Holy Week, uh, with Maundy Thursday. Um, it's not Monday Thursday, it's Maundy Thursday. <laughs> it's a common thing to say. Maundy Thursday, or Holy Thursday on uh, April 1st, Good Friday on the 2nd, and Easter Sunday is coming soon on the 4th. You know, we have a lot of things going on for that too on Easter Sunday. Sunrise service, breakfast, the big to-do uh, service and everything like that, especially because we didn't get it last year. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so with that, we will take a break from Bible study during Holy Week, but uh, that is to say, be sure to come to the services if you can. We'd love to see you there, okay? Um, with that, how about let's, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.